listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Hope that was exciting for you. I want to start this episode by listing my three top favorite memories from Disney World. I went to Disney World a few times when I was a kid, lucky enough to, to do that, lucky or unlucky, depending how you slice it. But uh, we, the fact of the matter is we went to Disney when I was a kid, and I want to just tell you my top three favorite memories from that experience. My t- number three is this animatronic kind of weird dragon dinosaur person in a suit (laughs) that was at one of these Disney restaurants and it's like playing a piano and singing weird songs and at that restaurant, I don't know if it was that weird animatronic dinosaur thing, which by the way wasn't a Disney character. There's not really an explanation for what this robot's doing there. But it's like singing and telling jokes at this restaurant. And I'm not sure if it was that that I loved a ton or if I loved just that this restaurant has an unlimited free supply of nacho cheese on tap. And I, 
I remember just thinking that it was the most awesome thing in the world to just have everlasting nacho cheese from a pump, you know, like those ketchup pumps, but it was nacho cheese, and also this weird dinosaur thing singing while you're eating dinner. That's number three. Number two, drum roll. Playing barbershop. We... We played barbershop at the hotel at night, me and my two brothers. Uh, We gave each other fake haircuts. It was like an elaborate game of pretend that was like really relaxing. And my personal love language is uh, (laughs) is touch. And so I just like when someone's like messing with my hair, stuff like that. (laughs) So weird. But that's my second favorite memory from Disney World. And my final favorite memory. Memory. Boom, 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 boom. Here it is. I saw a lizard on a bridge. We were crossing a bridge at Disney. There's a lot of like wooden bridges there. And there was a lizard on the stump of the bridge. (laughs) These are my, when I'm looking back at Disney World, these are the things that I remember about being there. And what do they all have in common? They pretty much have nothing to do with Disney World. Like, that is not what you think of when you think of Disney World. Animatronic nacho cheese guy playing barbershop with your brothers or lizard on a bridge. And I just just think it's funny because Disney is really expensive. It just gets more and more expensive, actually. And I think that it's a very weird thing to mix fun with the pressures that come with money. So when you go down there, your parents are spending so much money that they're just, you can just feel the panic of we've got to get our money's worth of fun. But nothing is less fun than pressure. And so I just think it it creates this weird cocktail And it kind of reminds me of creative careers because creativity is supposed to be fun. And when you put it under the pressure of earning a living or making money, it can kind of jack up the fun right away. And that's there's an even bigger problem than the fact that it that the the pressures of money might steal your joy of creativity. Maybe even a bigger deal is that your best creativity comes from having fun while you make stuff. So not only is it just bad that you're not enjoying the creativity, but you're also not making your best creative work under the pressure of, I've got to make this really good or I'm not going to get that job or I've got to make this really good or I'm going to lose this job or I've got to make this really good and if I, because if I quit making good stuff, I'm not going to get any more of these dream jobs. Like whatever the anxiety or pressure is to make great work, it has the ability to destroy your ability to make great work. And for this episode in particular, but just generally, I've been researching what does science have to say about making good creative work, like getting you into your peak performance as a creative person. And it's actually really funny because uh, it's uh, science is another weird thing to mix with fun. 
Like I read articles and articles and articles and I've read books about this and I feel like I just keep reading the same things. These like extremely serious, intelligent, you know, I read some, uh, on Google, I went into the scholar section and searched like scholarly papers that were published by real scientists and doctors. And uh, it's just kind of hilarious because you get this extremely scholarly, intellectual rhetoric saying things basically like, we're trying to figure out how to get your brain to get into proper creative functions and we think it has something to do with having fun what is fun (laughs) how do you have fun and it's just like maybe this isn't the domain uh, for scientists to crack maybe this is the domain for a pizza mystic to crack aka me dr andy j pizza not a real doctor mind you, but maybe just the doctor you need to unlock your creativity and take this heavy burden of financial pressures and financial performance off of you and help you trick yourself into having a great time making your work even when there's money on the line. Because if you can't figure out how to enjoy the work you're making, you're not going to be making your best work. That The science is clear there. That if in, for you to make your best work, you've got to get into a state of play. You've got to get a, into a state of fun and enjoyment. And uh, just like it's hard sometimes to have a good time at Disney World because it's so expensive, it's hard to have a good time making creative work when your kids... Uh, food depends on it when your rent depends on it when you know whether your career is going to work out depends on it it's hard to have a good time when you're doing that and so I want to share with you uh, a whole bunch of tricks that I use on myself that help me to get into that open mode to help me get into that fun creative mode so that's what this episode's all about now Back to this idea of the pizza mystic. In order to have even more fun with this episode, I've uh, I've added a layer for myself, to, which is I'm doing this episode as not just your everyday Andy J pizza, but your Andy J pizza mystic. And that just means that all these things that I came up with, I kind of was trying to search my heart and intuition and tap into cosmic things and try to download things that individuals might actually need to hear. Does it sound like a weird... fortune teller guy yeah it kind of sounds like that but that sounds fun to me so that's what i did and so i want you as we're going over this list every single one of these might not apply to you i hope that they all uh inspire you but i hope that a few of these just smacks you right in the face and says wake up baby this this points for you this is the exact thing you need to get into your creative bloodstream to get your best at workout this week. And so let's take a minute and enter the realms of the pizza mystic. Ooh, 
Number one, try to make trash, not treasure. The first thing on my list to help you have more fun creating your work so that you get into the right headspace because fun is the right headspace for creating stuff. You'll get your best work if you're actually having a good time, getting loose, getting open in the open mode. The first, these are, I'm just reiterating what I already said. This is a big list of ways to unlock your fun, to unlock your best work. Number one is try to make trash, not treasure. So, I was, I, in my research for this episode, I came across this quote from, I think it's Hanif Qureshi, an author that says, Dear God, teach me to be careless. And this author was talking about how your, their best writing comes from a careless state of mind, a non-precious state of mind where they're really kind of just carelessly writing and just loosely writing. And for me, this has been my experience. And the way that I unlock this carelessness is by trying to make trash, not treasure. My first published book, the idea of that book came from me trying to come up with some trash. I had to, for my school project, come up with four ideas to pitch as possible final projects. And I came up with the first idea, knew that it was the one that I wanted to do, and decided to come up with, and that was my treasure. That was me trying to come up with treasure. And it was precious, and it was, and it was uh, forced and contrived, but I thought it was fantastic. And to make it shine, I came up with three other ideas that I purposefully tried to make trash ideas, crap, that would make my first idea shine. And I came up with the last one right before I was falling asleep the, the day before I had to pitch these ideas to my teachers. And that last idea was me just trying to come up with the dumbest crap I could come up with. And that idea led to my first published book. And so what I found is when I get a client that's really, really important to me that I really want to shine on, you know, recently I had the opportunity of working with the New York Times. It was a dream opportunity. It was something I wanted to do for a long time. And I could, I found myself when I got that job, when I went to my sketchbook to start ideating, I could find, I found myself trying to make some treasure. It's like, don't F this up, man. Don't screw this thing up. You got to perform on this. And I could just find that preciousness. And I thought, how am I going to get careless with this thing? I'm going to come up with, let me come up with a handful of ideas that are just total garbage. What are the dumbest things that come to mind when I get this project? And just start doodling those. And so I found the best way to get careless in your work is to try to make trash, try to make some crap if you have to come up with one solution, come up with four and make sure that some of those solutions are you just trying to do the dumbest thing you can do. And if you know that you're going to trash some of them, it completely alleviates the burden from making a treasure. And for me, that's the best way to unlock the good stuff. Number two, use your goals as clarity, not motivation. 
So this is what it's all about. We just did a side project series where we're talking about, you know, having a, a really clear goal and reverse engineering a project for that goal. And the Creative Career Path Handbook that we just raised a bunch of money on Kickstarter for uh, has goals as a big part of it. And I think that goals really help you clarify what it is you need to be focused on. But I don't think it's so good as being the chief motivator for your creativity, creativity, especially if those goals are financial or, or uh, fame related or, or whatever. I found a much stronger, better motivator is to make stuff for people you care about. You know, I've heard this story over and over and over about these crazy best-selling books that start with a Christmas present. You know, some author just saying, you know what, I've never written anything before, but I wanted to write a book for my three children and my wife and a few friends of mine. I just had this story that I wanted to tell them, and so I took the love and care and passion of giving a great gift to those people, and I transferred it into writing this book. And I wrote this book for friends, and they passed it on to more friends, and eventually word got out, and now I've sold millions of copies. That's probably not going to happen to you. It's probably not going to happen to me. But in my experience, that is a great process for alleviating that precious pressure burden that we put on ourselves to make this incredible work that's going to help us reach these enormous goals on the horizon. And so the other side of it for me, when you're making this stuff for your friends and family, when we're making something just to love on your people in your life, just to give them some joy and delight. The best thing for me to do is think there's two possible outcomes from this, this method. One, it's going to work. It's going to get some of my best work out, or I'm going to learn something. Both are progress. And so guess what? The creative career path handbook was that in a lot of ways. It was me, you know, I had spent a few years pitching different book ideas to publishers and the whole process just didn't feel right. And I could feel myself being motivated by a book deal rather than motivated by delighting the listeners or delighting the readers. And so I decided, you know what, forget that. What would I make for the listeners of this podcast, what would I really want to give them based on this content? And the Creative Career Path Handbook came from that. And I think it's the, the best book I could have made at this time. Um, so how can you be motivated by that delight of your friends and family and just make stuff for those people instead of getting crushed under the weight of these lofty goals? Number three, know your engine lights. So I'm not a car person. Uh, I don't know anything about cars. I was a, I'm a, I've been afraid of cars since day one. I actually put off getting my license for two years when I was a teenager, or, or at least a year. I just was petrified, still am petrified of, of cars. When an engine light goes off on my dashboard, my heart just nearly explodes because I'm like, I have no idea what that means. It looks like, based on this light, this little icon that I'm seeing that maybe the fan wafting the bucket of cheese in my engine has turned on. I don't, 
I don't know. Those little icons and lights are not very helpful. And you have to get out the book and you have to understand what do these lights mean? And I feel like your brain is a lot like an engine and it sends you messages with with feelings that aren't always obvious what they mean. There's a lot of times in my creative career where I'm feeling super burdened, super pressured, uh, super emotional. That's, you know what? Let me just pause this for a second and just talk about the sensitivity of lots of creative folks. No matter how calloused you've become, lots of creative people start as squishy emo kids in high school, even if you didn't listen to emo. I listened to the, the hip-hop equivalent, which was R&B. And I would just lay in bed and cry to Nathan, Michael, Sean, and Juan Ye every night. But, but, so, but I was still emo. And you're probably a little bit squishy. And I, you know, when I listen to actors talk on podcast and they're talking about their process and they're talking about trying to really nail a scene and how, how sensitive they are to the feedback of the director. If the director says the wrong thing and it kind of puts them in a weird zone and everybody on set knows that actors are in a sensitive place by trying to perform this thing in front of people and get into that mindset. And it's such a, it's a very delicate space. You can just tell, and you might not be able to relate to that. Uh, exactly, but I bet you can relate to the sensitivity of being a creative person. And for me, what I found, you know, being a freelancer, being at home on my own, w- making this stuff, that my emotions just go all over the place. I might be the creative pep talk guy, but I'm not always feeling pep talky. And in fact, it takes a lot for me to get into the zone to want to to want to record one of these episodes. I have to really manage my self-care and what's going on inside and getting into the right frame of mind. And it's taken me 30 years to figure out what my engine lights mean because there's a lot of times where I start getting this feeling happening over me and I'm feeling like uh, the world is over, the world's ending, or I'm the worst, or this is the dumbest, like, why did I do this? What's wrong with me? But, you know, all these, like, crazy emotions and feelings and thoughts and often these thoughts that try to explain the feelings are like those icons on my dashboard. They look one way, but they mean another thing. And I've learned often that when I'm feeling like uh, it's doomsday, that engine light just means that I need to go have coffee with a friend and talk about stuff. And I'll get out of that coffee date feeling like, yeah, everything's fantastic. And I have had to learn this feeling means that I need alone time. This feeling means that I need to go have some fun. This feeling means I need to take a break and take a walk. And they're not always obvious. And it takes a lot of self-awareness and self-development to understand what your engine lights mean. And so if you're feeling that pressure to perform, get to the bottom of what that really is. Get to the bottom of why you're buckling under the pressure in this moment. It might not be what you think it is. That icon on the dash might not look like what it actually means. There's no bucket of cheese in your engine, even though the icon looks like there is. I don't know if you've ever seen the bucket of cheese engine light icon. I have plenty of times. Makes me panic. Glad I figured it out and just found out it was like the spark plug or the rotor rotary girder 
I don't know anything about cars, but learn your engine lights. Number four, don't procrastinate. It's kind of like telling a dog not to pee on a fire engine. Fire engine. Fire. What are those things? That the, they're not fire related. Water. <laughs> I know I'm leaving this in for your guys. You guys can just laugh at me as some entertainment. Fire hydrant. That's what it's called. Telling a dog not to pee on a fire hydrant. That's that's what it's like telling creative people not to procrastinate. That's what I feel like. But I will tell you this. Although sometimes in the final hour, you know, people swear by the deadline looming and crushing your soul and somehow that gets your best workout. I would say that's the exception to the rule for me. And for me, if I feel like I've got to come up with something brilliant right now, otherwise I'm going to miss this deadline, that does not allow me to get into the open mode, the flow state, to have fun and enjoy the work and play around with stuff and let stuff happen in an organic, kind of wonky, strange way, which is where most of my creative stuff comes from, the best stuff. And so if you have a tendency to procrastinate, I would at least tell you, maybe you can procrastinate on the execution, but in the brainstorming, really, where the creative juices are flowing, you know, the type of work you can't do when you're listening to music with lyrics, that kind of stuff, don't procrastinate on the brainstorming. If you want to procrastinate on the execution, be my guest. I feel you. I get it. But leave some time to do what we talked about in step one, which was making trash. you got to leave time for mistakes. Number five is retrace your steps. Retrace your steps. Nothing feels less chill than getting lost. I have ADHD. I do a lot of things that a regular human wouldn't do. Things that some people might consider quite buffoonish, if I can use that word in that way. I am prone to getting distracted, making weird decisions, you know, putting the wrong address into Google Maps and ending up an hour in the wrong direction and completely missing a meeting. That kind of stuff happens to me all the time. I get lost more than regular individuals. I have probably, I thought of like three or four stories that I could tell you of getting lost, but I'm just going to spare you. Just trust me, been lost a lot. It's, it's a terrible feeling. It's the opposite of chill. It's the opposite of the state of mind that you need to be when you're trying to be creative and have a good time making some cool jazz. So if you're feeling all tense and locked up, it could be from a lack of clarity of where you are and what you're trying to do and what your purpose is. And one of the things that helps you when you're lost is to retrace your steps. And I have a few ways of doing that in my own life when I'm feeling like I'm untethered, where I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, you know, when it comes to, the, for instance, like when I'm making podcast artwork, I make a new piece of artwork every week for this podcast. And sometimes, if I let things just kind of flow and unravel, I will kind of lose my tether. I'll kind of lose where I'm at, lose what I'm supposed to be doing with this artwork and start making some stuff 
a few weeks in a row that I'm not proud of or excited or they just feel wrong and then I try to fix it and I'm all burdened and locked up and I'm not having fun anymore. And one of the things that really, really helps me, and this also helped me in developing my style, is to create a pin board of where I've been. Retrace my steps. It could be a mood board, could be a Pinterest board, whatever you want. But what I do is I go back through the past couple years or through my career and I come up with pieces that feel like they hit the nail on the head, pieces that feel like me inside. And I put them on this board and I look at them and I try to figure out what the patterns are. Like, what is it about these things that I really like? These are my core values of my artistic voice, or these are the core values of the Creative Pep Talk brand. And it always recenters me. I find my place, I gain some clarity, and I chill out. Another thing you can do in retracing your steps is you can figure out how to finish your plate. Sometimes when I feel all untethered and wacky and, and, and strange, what's happened is I took a, uh, I left something undone. So one thing that happens if I'm panicking about, you know, especially years ago, I remember going through seasons where things were just ultra quiet. I wasn't getting new jobs. I was panicking about where I was at and that panic transferred into not being able to make good creative work. And what I ended up always thinking about when I got stuck in that place was finish your plate. The universe has a strict finish your plate standard. You have to, my experience is, and this is a little bit mystical, woo woo, told you this was a pizza mystic episode. I found that when things are locking up in my life, it means that at some point I didn't finish my vegetables and I retrace my steps. What are the things that I committed to? What are the things that, what are the emails that I've, that haven't been sent? What are the contracts I didn't finish? What are the things that I need to, that I can take this restless energy and focus on getting the ducks in a row? And by the time I do that, something else has come through the door. That's something that's really helped me. Another thing that's really helped me in terms of just my creative path and finding myself when I'm feeling that burden of being lost, that panic of being lost is retracing my steps and seeing where I took a wrong turn. Trying to figure out when did my heart kind of go to the wrong place? When did I start trying to stroke my ego instead of trying to give my creative gift? And and I just look back and try to intuitively get a vibe on this is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> intuitively get a vibe on. That's the person I've become. That I have unlocked the mystic, the pizza mystic, sorry, not Julia Roberts movie, pizza mystic out of his cage. And now I'm saying things like intuitively get a vibe on. But I do. I go back through my cosmic filter and think, Andy, where did you just start to get weird or you made a wrong decision or, or you, you, you shied away. You didn't have the bravery to say yes to something that was totally right for you and try to go back, retrace my steps, fix those issues, get right back on the right path. And that usually unlocks my chill. Number six is real easy. Ask yourself this question and I'm going to get sober here real quick. This is where the podcast gets emotional, serious. It's kind, This is kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've ever been a part of, uh, you know, one of these things where you get your friends together and you confront somebody in intervention. This is an intervention and this is the question I want to ask you. 
when's the last time you ate pizza? Sometimes it's that simple. You just need to chill out, man. Have some pizza. My latest pizza obsession, and I, really the only reason I put this one in here as number six is because I have a new pizza obsession, which is basically I keep seeing these on menus where it's like a giant arugula salad with like Parmesan and maybe some prosciutto just straight on a pizza, but it's basically just a giant salad on a pizza. You take a slice, you fold a whole mess of salad in it, and you just eat, uh, and you pretend like you're eating a salad when you're actually eating a pizza. Sometimes you've lost your chill just because, you know what, you've been grinding too hard, and you need a little pizza. Last weekend, I had too much pizza. You need to chill out with the pizza, but maybe that's not you. Maybe you maybe need to reward yourself. Number seven is quit trying to be the best. There's a, in my creative pep talk book that I made with Chronicle Books, there's a page by John Bergman. He was on the podcast recently. And the quote on his page is something like, if you can't be good, be different. And in the spirit of pizza, let's just talk, let's just use the, let's, let's just use pizza chains as an analogy. Look. Making the best pizza in the world is not only impossible because there's just so much competition, but it's also completely subjective. So being the best can kind of make you go loopy. Just trying to be the absolute best in your field and get ahead on the meritocracy of your work, just being so much better than your competition is kind of a madness all in its own way. And it's surely going to keep you in a locked up crazy state if everything you're trying to make is just the best of the best of the best. Here's the thing. Everybody likes different types of pizzas. And one of the things that the big pizza chains have done to create their little niche and win is they have created their own little corners by being the pizza chain that. The pizza chain that has cinnamon sticks. The pizza chain that has... $5 hot and ready pizzas, the pizza chain that has little hot peppers in the box and garlic butter. You know what all these pizza chains are. The pizza chain that has stuffed crust pizza. It's not always about having the best of the best of the best in your market. Sometimes it's just about stuffing some crust with some cheese. What is your crust that you can stuff with cheese? That's a, you can quote me on that. That'll be in a Bartlett's book of quotes. I think it's what it's called. But one thing I was thinking a lot about recently was this idea that every successful, thriving, creative I could think of, you could say something like, you could say what their stuffed crust was. You could say, oh, it's, the, it's that artist that has a 50 States project. It's that artist that sings about Panera Bread in two of the songs. It's that artist that wrote the debut album in a cabin in the woods in isolation. It's that artist that did a whole, you know, 12 daily drop cap thing. And when I say these things, if you know that artist that did that thing, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And so it's not always about the madness of 
trying to be the best of all time. Sometimes maybe just have a little fun. Have you done anything in your creative career that could be considered your stuffed crust? And instead of just trying to run the mile faster, how could you run it a little bit differently? That's a, it's a, it's a lighthearted way of doing something creative that doesn't put so much pressure on your work changing everything. And that little spiel, that little rant I call that artist that. What are you? When people refer to you, what could they say? You know, it's that artist, that blank. Maybe you need to do some of that. Put some pepperoncinis and garlic butter in your box. Number eight, fall in love with craft. Fall in love with craft sounds like the tagline for the fall season at Joanne Fabrics. Like, <laughs> I can just imagine the Joanne commercial. Come on down to Joanne this fall. Joanne Fabrics. Is it is it Joanne Fabrics? Is it plural or is it fabric? Jo- Come on down to Joanne Fabric and fall in love with craft today. <laughs> what I mean by that has nothing to do with fabrics. It has everything to do with getting into the purity of your craft. You know, back when I was starting out, and and I've told these stories a billion times, so I'm not going to give you all the details. Just listen back three ep- every third episode of this podcast. I talk about lying face down on the floor in my early 20s when my career was washed up. Um, so if you're curious, just go back a few episodes. But essentially, when I was starting out, I got some beginner's luck, had some cool stuff happen, but then everything basically crumbled and it wasn't working. And I had this crazy burden, these financial pressures of a mortgage and a and a, and a wife and kid and bills and all this stuff. And it was a really hard space to get creative within. And one of the things that helped me unlock my creativity was getting back to the purity of why I got into this in the first place. And the thing that really turns that switch on, and it's something I do when I'm feeling burnout or blocked creatively, is just go listen to the master's talking shop. I love falling in love with craft, the craft of something. Right now I'm reading a book called 20 Master Plots, and it's just about the different types of plots uh, that you find in stories. And it's just, it just lights me up creatively. And for illustration, I love watching Christoph Neiman uh, talk about illustration on his latest TED Talk. And I just love listening to a master dissect what's brilliant about my craft and what I make and what I do. And it inspires me and it excites me. I love hearing comedians talk shop. It, It just gets me back into this purity where it's not all about money. It's not all about a goal. It's not always about the next big thing that I'm doing. And I can just have a good time. It inspires me to get back and get my hands dirty making stuff. And so how can you go to Joanne Fabrics and fall in love with craft this fall season? You know, nothing makes me more anxious than trying to be someone that I'm not. I have a brain that I know is strange. And especially for people that never met me, if I just show up in a shop and start 
speaking words without thinking much about it, I can kind of look like they should call the cops because someone's publicly intoxicated on some kind of drug. I talk weird. I make weird jokes. I'm saying things that I'm saying sentences backwards often, but I find that if I try to cover up my ADHD brain, if I try to pretend like I'm just a normal person saying, hi, how are you? Then I get anxious and I lock up and I come across even weirder. And so I've been on a mission over the past couple of years to just let that weirdness out all the time. Uh, just let it do its thing because I am less anxious, I feel happier, and things actually go better if I'll just let that freakness fly. So here's number nine. Drop the facade. Sometimes that panic and that burden that's keeping you from doing the fun, creative stuff that gets you into the jam is because you're trying to pretend like you're somebody else. You're trying to keep up a personal brand. You're trying to imitate somebody. You're trying to be do these things that convince people that you're something that you're not. And I've seen it even when the, with the works of people that have been called genius. And after they're called genius, they can't make anything because they feel like everything they make has to live up to being genius. And I think that one tactic that I would suggest to help bring down this facade, this curtain, and, and show that you're not some giant floating head that's on fire, aka the Wizard of Oz, but you're actually just a person behind a curtain. And to do that, I think you should do some autobiographical work. If that's you, if you feel like you're trying to pretend to be someone you're not, or try to be cooler or more impressive than you really are, maybe it's time for you to do some autobiographical work. I saw some recently by illustrator Joshua Josh Lafayette. And I don't am I saying Lafayette weird? Josh Lafayette? La Lafayette? Anyway, Josh Lafayette did a cool medium post recently talking about the music from his childhood growing up in, in kind of weird, uh, extreme cultish sides of religion and how that impacted the music that he listened to and why it ended up turning him to hardcore music, like intense music and how that became cathartic. And he did this giant article and he illustrated the whole thing. He had several like spot editorial illustrations for the article and I just thought, A, that is a really brilliant way of mirroring work that you want to get. I'd be really surprised if when articles like that about the, that music scene or that experience come up, that art directors don't think of him for, to illustrate those kinds of articles. It was a great way of, you know, using it, it's very in line with what we were talking about in our side quest series. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that's sweet. Like really, uh, you know, utilizing Medium, which is a platform that I think still has a lot of cheap attention, long form, long, long form content that still ha can break through the noise when it's done right. Basically, Josh, if you're listening, well done. I thought that was fantastic. And uh, anyway, my point is the other thing it did was it really helped 
tear down that curtain between artist and audience. And I think that, A, that helps you just lose that anxiety of trying to pretend like you're something you're not. And then, B, it helps you to make a connection with your audience. And if you've never really properly introduced yourself through your work, if you're a musician, that means writing songs. If you're, if you're, a, if you're an illustrator, it means maybe illustrating it. If you're a comics artist, it might be doing it through comics, like our last guest, Fran, Franerd, uh, and and she was actually telling me some. She pointed out some ways that I really haven't been completely open with my audience, and ways I could do that through the form, through my the medium of illustration that I do. And I'm gonna do it, Fran, if you're listening. But have you ever done it? Have you ever let the curtain down? It might be a great way to put some pepperoncinis and garlic butter in your box. <laughs> I love that as shorthand for, for being different and carving out a niche. Uh, but, except, anyway, we'll just keep working with it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, have you ever done that? Have you ever sh- shared who you are through your work? It might be a way for you to feel like you're just getting out from behind the curtain and letting down that facade and some anxiety might drop off you in that process. Number 10, you know what really chills me out when I'm getting all uptight? You know what I need? I need this just to, I just need to relax and chill and zone out to the smooth sounds of boys to men. Number 10 is listen to some boys to men. Have you ever? Listen to boys to men. My favorite parts are where Mike, who is just a guy with a cane, he's one of the four. There's Nathan, Michael, Sean, and Wanye. Okay, Mike is the guy who doesn't really sing hardly at all. He's in fact not even part of the band anymore. He dropped out probably because he got bored on stage, just hanging out, waiting for my favorite parts of the songs, where inevitably pretty much every boys to men song. Pre 2004, had a breakdown where Mike, who has this crazy deep voice, just starts talking, and it's poetic. It's it's almost like a haiku, and uh, I just wrote down a few of my favorite Mike parts. Here's one. This is a, <laughs> this one I actually didn't look up the lyrics for, but I remember him saying something like, "Baby, when you ran out with that other fella." Baby, I knew about it. I just didn't care, baby. And I just thought, man, Mike, you're kind of a pushover. That's, that's a weird thing to say in a song. And then there's another one. This one I actually really got the lyrics for. It's from the song To the Limit by Boys to Men. And in the middle he says, The things I do for you Take you out on a night of the town, on the town And after I'll run you some bath water with some bubbles. Do you like bubbles? Yeah. Then we can just sit down and play Settlers of Catan. Ooh, we be making settlements and building up resources all night, girl. You'd like that, wouldn't you? I'd do anything for you. You know I don't care. All right, I made up part of that. That's how I would have altered it. That's the kind of way that I woo my woman. That's right, Sophie, I'm talking about you. Let's play Settler's Catan tonight. You don't have to listen to Boys to Men, but it helps me. 
maybe you have maybe you have some music that chills you out i don't know i just wanted to tell you about boys to men number 11 quit trying to leap quit trying to leap and crawl one of the things that really gets me anxious is when i try to make too big of a leap in my creativity with one single piece you know i read a lot about creativity i think a lot about how i can improve my creativity how i can make even better work than i made the last time and one of the things that happens is it's kind of like to use a sports analogy it's kind of like i'm working on my my putt putt putting putting game i don't know what it's called i don't watch sports but when they're on the the green when they're they're putting the ball into the they're doing the putting if i was a golfer there'd be times where I would study all the techniques of getting your putting game up and I would just obsess over it and I would practice it and then when I get to the actual game I would be all in my head and anxious about all right remember that if you really want to improve your game if you want to cut your strokes down by 3 you really got to forget to put don't put your put the club down straight and back at a 45 degree angle no you are not going to be at your best putt putt game if you're doing that in fact you go listen to sports women and sports men that get great at performing and they talk about leaving all of that thought at practice really reading watching the tapes getting the practice in but when game time comes they have to clear their mind and they'll say you know what were you thinking about when you were putt putting <laughs> that's what the reporter will ask him and the answer is supposed to be really thinking nothing at all if i'm doing it right And so in my experience a lot of times that anxiety that I'm walking up from is when I'm trying to go from being a C minus to an A plus with one piece of work. And what I found is I'll read the books, I'll practice in my sketchbook and my personal work and try to improve some things, try to experiment on some things, but when it comes time for client work, paid work, stuff that where I'm really supposed to just get in the game, I'm just letting it happen. I can't really get better. When it comes to game time, it's not time to improve, it's in time it's time to execute. And when I try to make too big a leap in my creative growth at a time, it sometimes causes me to feel that burden, lose my ability to just get in the game and have some fun and play. And so what I try to do is learn and practice and then just execute. Don't get caught up in putting all of those lessons into play every single game. I really what I'm trying to do is you know, always be absorbing, always trying to improve, but let the growth actually happen organically as I make stuff. So quit trying to leap. Sometimes all you got to do is prime. You got to prime the pump. Number 12 is prime the pump. What does it mean to prime the pump? Well, I got this idea from listening to actors talk about how they get into the scene how do they you know whether it's they need to cry or they need to laugh or they need to be in a, in a, into a certain emotion you know one of the things that you'll hear actors say is they're not supposed to be pretending to be sad they're supposed to be embodying sadness actually being sad and and it being honest not a show 
And that's where great acting really comes from. And if you listen to actors, you'll hear them talk about priming. So if they have to do a scene with a certain type of emotion, they might listen to music that gets them into that place. They might read uh, a book that gets them into that frame of mind, that gets them to embody this thing. And for me, that helps. If I'm feeling all crazy locked up before I'm making some work, I might just go revisit a YouTube video that I haven't seen in seven years and just laugh my face off and get into that fun, creative, careless mode. And actually, I heard Jessica Hish years ago talk about how she would, if she was feeling creative block or locked up, that she would just go look at design books and not really look for even inspiration, but just to kind of remember what it was that was exciting about this and fun about this and just get into that inspired, exciting place. And so if you're feeling locked up, one of the things that really helps me is just prime yourself. You know, what I, I sometimes try to prime myself before making this show, before doing talks on stage. And I'm always trying, I'll watch YouTube videos that help me remember why I love people. Remember the the human spirit and why that inspires me. And it, it's a range, all kinds of different videos. But if I can get myself to just tear up or cry a little or just, just start remembering what life is all about, I'm so much... Uh, I'm speaking so much more from the heart and I'm so much more present in the moment. And so if you're feeling all that lock up, maybe you just need to figure out what primes your pump, baby. What gets those pepperoncinis in the box? How can we stuff your crust today? <laughs> Forget all that, but think about it. Think about when do you get into that fresh zone? When are you feeling alive and present and, and playful? What kinds of, you know, you can use the entertainment and, and the gifts of other creatives that have bottled these feelings and emotions and know how to, and have figured out how to download those things into you to prime your pump, to get you out of that state of mind. That helps me a ton. It's been a complete game changer for me. Number 13, quick one, have some fun. Not in your creativity, just have some. Have you forgotten to have fun? For me, you know, with three kids and a mortgage and, you know, just the pressures of life, there were lots of times, especially in my mid-20s, where I kind of convinced myself I was a Burt and not an Ernie. And <laughs> if you don't listen to this podcast, I've been talking about Burt and Ernie for weeks. And I also want to just make a public apology to, to designers. When I was, I've been like for several episodes kind of trashing designers. Most of my friends are designers. I'm afraid you're listening to the show and thinking, did I say something that hurt Andy's feelings? <laughs> it's not that stuff at all. It's just on Twitter. Design Twitter can just get a little bit mean sometimes. I'm like watching people tear things down like a typeface and the people, you know, it just seems like, take it easy. Goodness gracious. Anyway, anyway, put, put all that stuff aside. I, I think in my mid-20s, I was so burdened by taxes and, and health insurance and the, the burden of retirement and my kids and all that stuff that I just became so locked up. And I, I literally pretty much completely got fun out of my life. I forgot to prioritize having some fun. And I will tell you the number one best thing that happened to me to my creative career this year was putting in 200 hours into Zelda Breath of the Wild. Don't worry, people that hate Zelda, I'm not going to use it as a metaphor. 
for a long time. I promise. I know we did episode after episode of Zelda, but playing that game and just having fun, it just got inspiration into my heart of like just some fun in your life, like remembering life can be fun. And it makes me think of the law of conservation of energy from science class, where they talk about like energy can't be created and it can't be destroyed. It can only be transferred from one thing to another within a closed system. And and within the closed system of your life, if you want fun to show up in your work, it's got to come from somewhere. You've got to let it break into your life somehow. Are you being so burdened by trying to succeed that you're not letting yourself have a minute of enjoyment and fun and laughter and play? Sometimes you got to play and have fun outside of making stuff to remember how to have fun when you're making stuff. Number 14 is novel then useful is how I'm titling that one. And what it means is, it means get novel before you think about getting useful. And this comes from a, I believe he's a neuroscientist named Rex Young, uh, Rex J-U-N-G. And if you do any research on creativity, you're going to see this guy's name everywhere. I've, I've read about him in magazines, heard about him on podcasts. He's all over the spot. He's one of the, seems like he's one of the lead scientists studying creativity and how it happens in your brain. And I heard him on a podcast define creativity as, and if you want to go listen to that podcast, it was the On Being podcast. There was a really great interview with Rex Young. I heard him define creativity as something that is both novel and useful. And you might not like that definition. And at first I didn't really like it, but the more I tried to dissect it, the more I thought it was pretty ironclad. And cause I think part of what I didn't like was useful. Sounds like it's for capitalism or something, uh, you know, just for making money. Uh, but actually useful can be laughter. Like creativity can be something that's useful for getting someone to laugh. Uh, and so I agree with that. So, so he defines it as novel and useful. And I think if you take that and you apply it, you try to bring it into the craft of you making something, that maybe it needs a slight adjustment. For me personally, if I get too caught up on making something useful and novel, I can kind of get burdened again with with the pressure. Whereas if I start by being novel, if I actually get my brain into a place of, it doesn't matter what I come up with, let's just do weird associations. Let's just see what happens. When I look at this circle, what does it remind me of? How does it relate to each other? Don't put any rules on it. Don't put it in a box. Just get weird, get strange, get that energy flowing. If I do that first and then I examine it later, then I can make something useful out of those experiments. And I kind of relate it to uh, when you're playing a sport, playing first, watching the tapes, and editing later. Writers talk about this all the time. Write first and edit later. Don't try to do them both at the same time. And so instead of trying to do something novel and useful, trying to somehow exhibit both of those qualities at the same time, I think it can lock you up 
So trying to do some brilliant concept at the same time as just trying to explore and mine and, and, and get excited and weird and strange about some stuff. I think I've found separating these out is really helpful. And it reminds me of, speaking of Christoph Neiman, let's go back to him for a second. He did a really fantastic talk on 99U, where, and I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but I want to make a different point about it. He talked about how you can't make great work every time, but you can make good work every time. And that's what craftsmanship is all about, being able to produce good work consistently and know that great work kind of happens by chance. And if you'll set your targets on good instead of great, it'll be more realistic and you'll be able to have more fun. And I would actually change it slightly for this episode instead of saying quit trying to shoot for great work, which can make you feel really burdened and and kind of whatever. I found shoot for making work that's that you have fun making instead of trying your goal being how it turns out as useful, good or great. Just start by making it fun. Just shoot for how could I, I'm not enjoying when I go to the sketchbook, if I'm if I'm feeling all like, oh, I got to make a great thing, I'm getting weird. The work's not going to be good. But if I think, how can I have some fun with this thing? How, what, like, let's just make myself laugh, make myself surprised, draw something that I like that's fun for me to draw. If I start in those places, it most often turns into something useful too. And I'll add one more thing to this equation which is John Cleese, his lectures and videos on the open and closed mode. He talks about giving yourself an hour with no productivity, giving yourself an hour to make stuff just for fun and really not serving any purpose and just take, you know, if you have to write a script, just go in there and just think of the funnest, weirdest things that you could write and just go wild And the only end result that you have to have achieved while you're in there is that you had a good time. And that's one of the best ways to get open and get open to experience, which leads to creativity. Number 15, a simple one, just notice it. You know, if you're meditating and you're trying not to think of anything, if you're thinking, don't think, that's thinking. You can't... If, you, if you're trying to get rid of that striving, if you're putting pressure on yourself to get rid of the pressure, that's just more pressure. And so one of the things you got to do instead of freaking out and thinking, oh no, I can feel the anxiety coming. I can feel the pressure coming. I can feel that I'm trying to make great work and I don't know what to do about it. I know Andy said I'm supposed to have fun and stuff my own crust, but I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Ah, no, push the push back. Then you're just pushing more pushing. You don't want to do that. And so as they would say when you're meditating... Instead of thinking, don't think, just notice the thought. Just notice it. Just notice, oh, I'm feeling anxious about making this piece of work. Huh, okay, let's try to have some fun. Just Liz Gilbert, the author of Big Magic, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, she talks about when the fear comes, instead of saying, "Get get out of here, fear. We hate you, we don't need you. Now you're afraid of fear. That's just a cycle of more fear. And her suggestion is just invite 
fear in the car. Just don't let him drive. Just say, hey, fear, I know you're going to be here. That's fine. You've helped me not get eaten by mountain lions and, and fall off of bridges. You do all kinds of great stuff, as Liz Gilbert would say. We don't want you to get out of here. We just don't want you to drive the car when I'm making some stuff. You're just not that helpful. And so maybe that's what you need to do. Recognize it. See that it's there. But don't get anxious about your anxiety. That's a never-ending cycle. So just notice it. Wave to it. Give it a big kiss on the cheek and say, Aww, I see you there. What are you doing? We don't need you here. But if you have to be here, that's fine. I'm just going to be drawing some pictures again. Number four, which I know we're not on right now. Don't be afraid. Like, oh, goodness. And he's completely lost it. Just went from 15 to four. No, number four was don't procrastinate. But number 16 is procrastinate. And if you have time to procrastinate, if you have enough time, like if you're getting ahead of yourself and you're feeling that anxiety, and this is actually one of the reasons why you shouldn't procrastinate to the last to the last second is so that you can plan time to procrastinate. And the whole idea here is it's something I learned from Sarah Walsh. She was on the podcast ages ago and she talked about how when she was getting locked up on client work that she would cheat and just go do some personal work that helped her get her flow again, get excited about making stuff. And by the time she went back to the page, all of a sudden that anxiety was gone. All of a sudden it was free flowing. And it's been my experience. The same, And actually I think there's probably even some brain science going on there because one of the things that's great about your brain is that it, there's the secret compartment in the back called your subconscious and it works on stuff like a maniac when you're not even doing anything. And so while you're cheating on your project, you're cheating on your on what you should be working on, your subconscious is in the back like a, like a weird <laughs> sweatshop or something and back there just slaving away while you're having a good time procrastinating and it's giving you some answers and working some things out and helping you chill out. So that's something that I've implemented too when I'm feeling really stuck on one thing. Austin Kleon talks about this idea that when he's getting stuck, he'll move, he has an analog desk and a digital desk. And if he's getting stuck on the digital stuff, he'll move over to the analog stuff and vice versa. And so sometimes... And this is why it's, you can't procrastinate to the end. you got to plan on procrastinating. Number 17 is recognize when you're being a cotton-headed ninny muggins. Here's the thing. We all find ourselves from time to time in our lives acting like cotton-headed ninny muggins. And what that means is that you're getting down because you have an affinity for elf culture but you're not an elf. You see, an elf can make like hundreds and hundreds of Etch-a-Sketches in a day, and all you can make is 85, and then that's when you start feeling down and out about yourself. And one of the things that I've noticed is, you might have an, I might have an affinity for a certain type of creative work that I get really jazzed about, but it's not really in my strengths or core competencies. And I'm not saying don't try to get good at stuff that interests you. I'm just saying that I really strongly believe that a big part of life is about self-discovery, figuring out who are you really? What are your real strengths? Not your keyword strengths, not the strengths that you know make you look good 
on your Twitter bio or whatever, but what do you really do? What is, how does your brain, how can you hack your brain, figure out what you got going on in there, figure out what kind of functions it really thrives on doing. And once you really start to unearth some truth about that, making it work for you and not trying to have a brain that works like people that impress you. You know, sometimes the things that we're the best at really don't impress us that much. Like putting, like you might be really good at testing the, or replacing the batteries in the smoke alarm. <laughs> because you're a human and not an elf. And so, <laughs> if, if you don't know, if you don't know all those references, I'm not going to explain it to you. You're just living the wrong life. But quit, sometimes this burden that locks us up, it comes from trying to be someone that we're not, trying to work outside of our strength zone because we're not impressed with ourselves or we want to be somebody else. And uh, even if you want to be Michael Jordan, you might be Shane Battier. I don't know much about Shane Battier, but he has a fun name to say, Battier. And he was on Duke. He was the star at Duke, which is like a dominant college team. But when he got to the NBA, he wasn't Michael Jordan. He wasn't the best in the league. He wasn't even the best on the team. And although he was impressed by the person that could dominate in every arena, what he had to do was quit being, quit trying to be uh, number one, quit trying to imitate number one, quit being an imitator and be a role player. Do your thing. Even if it doesn't seem that special to you, we need it. That's why you're here. And so if you're feeling like a cotton-headed ninny muggins, you need to go to New York. <laughs> you need to go own who you really are. Quit trying to be what you're not. Get into your core competencies. Get into your strengths. You know, sometimes you got to make work that maybe isn't the work that you consume the most of, but it's the work that you're best at making. And I feel like you'll get so much joy when you're working in those core competencies. And that happens to me all the time that, you know, the work I think I'm best at making isn't necessarily the same work that I would, uh, that I fall head over heels over. And a lot of times the things I go crazy for are things that I can't imagine myself doing. I actually have a hard time consuming work that I could see how I could do it. Like it doesn't impress me, so it doesn't hit me as much. And there's, you know, certain types of musicians and certain types of illustrators and, and whatever, the way I can kind of see how the sausage is made and it doesn't do it for me. But I've tried to figure out what I'm really good at and dive deep into that and, and deliver those goods and be that role player. And Kevin Kelly, who's the co-founder of Wired Magazine, talks about not just doing what you love or doing what you feel like doing, but doing what only you can do. What are, what's the work that, you know, you might see these people doing this really impressive stuff and think, oh, I want to do that too. But there's probably stuff that you could do that nobody else could do that might not impress you but it might just be what the world needs, like changing the batteries in the fire alarm. I just want to call crap on monks achieving 
the secrets to true inner peace while sat on the side of a mountain, maybe gardening. Like, it takes nothing to find inner peace in those places. I'm just calling the crap right now. I'll be impressed when you can stand in line in the Orlando heat at Disney World with the mosquitoes and the humidity and the kids, your three kids screaming and crying, waiting for two hours while you wait to get Elsa's signature. And you get up to the front of the line and you're like, look, honey, it's Elsa. This woman, this woman's Elsa. Because they don't know, because it doesn't look that much like Elsa in the first place. You have to tell them that's Elsa so they can pretend to be excited, so you can validate the incredible amounts of money that you spent to orchestrate this pain. (laughs) And if, if you can achieve inner peace in that zone, I'll really be impressed with you. Now, I don't know if this is irony or not, but I'm using the Alanis Morissette metric of what is and what isn't irony. That's about as far as I understand irony. (laughs) So I don't know if this is irony or not, but... The secret of finding true inner peace in that line, waiting for Elsa, is hidden within the lyrics of Elsa's song. You know what I'm saying, don't you? Let it go. (laughs) I did it. I apologize for doing it. And then I don't, because it's true. You do have to, in this path, this very, very tricky tightrope of trying to have fun for a living, that, that's a heck of a tightrope to walk. When you add financial pressure to having fun, all kinds of weird things happen. There's all kinds of places where that's actually illegal, if you know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to go into the details, but it gets tricky when you're trying to have fun for a living. It sounds like a great time, but it's actually pretty hard to have fun under that kind of pressure. And that's what being creative is all about. That's what having a thriving creative career is all about. It's true. You've got to figure out, you got to trick yourself. Use one of these tricks to trick yourself into letting go of the burdens. Because if you don't, you're not going to be at your peak performance and you're not going to be able to, to, to do your best work. And if things really depend on you doing your best work, then you have no other choice but to figure out how to let it go. So I'm talking to you right now. I don't know where you are in this time in your life. You might be panicking over needing to break in with student debt pouring out your ears. To you, I say, let it go and enjoy the ride of the creativity. You might have had some giant, you might be someone who I wish I knew was listening to this because you're a superstar who has giant number one hits and you're afraid that you'll never live up to your past. And to you, I say, let it go and enjoy the ride. You might be hitting traffic when you're already late. And to you, I say, let it go. (laughs) 
you might be 47 years old and telling people to fall in love with craft this season at Joanne Fabrics when you thought that you were going to be a super famous artist by now. And I'd say let go of the expectations that you put on yourself and enjoy making stuff because if you don't, you'll never make the stuff that you were hoping to make. You'll never unleash your best potential. You know, the Buddhists say that unless you can be present in the boredom of the chore of washing the dishes, you won't learn to be present in the joy of eating the cookie that you reward yourself after you do the chore. You've got to enjoy the creative work that you're doing now or it doesn't matter what pressure you're putting yourself under to get where you're trying to go because you won't have learned how to enjoy making stuff. So if you're not enjoying making it now, you're not going to enjoy making it then no matter how successful you are. But it's ironic, (laughs) don't you think? (laughs) But we put all this pressure on our creativity to get the opportunities that we want to make more creative stuff. But if the pressure of making great stuff ruins the creativity that we're doing, why would we want more of it? Why do we want more creative stuff to do to just have more pressure on? The only option is to figure out how to crush this pressure and enjoy what we're making on, whether we're making stuff for ourselves right near right now, hoping to break in, or whether we're making stuff for Disney, for Mickey Mouse himself. So whether you're still on the bridge just spotting lizards or you're getting ready to meet Elsa, don't forget to let it go. Figure out how to have some fun with the stuff that you're making. Because if you can't have some fun now making, you're not going to have fun no matter what kind of performance you do now. Creativity is supposed to be a free ride. Don't pay for it. I hope you enjoyed all those little Alanis Morissette gems that I wove into that last thing so awkwardly, but... I'm just doing some tribute to my girl, Alanis. My mom was a really big Alanis Morissette fan. I feel like we need... Is there a current day equivalent to Alanis? I feel like we need some of that. I feel like it would play really well right now. Where are you at, Alanis fans? I just want to say one more thing. You know, the pressure to get paid with your creativity is a a heck of a burden. I would say... a a way worse burden that I've felt myself that really isn't worth it, that could be killing your creativity is the burden of trying to get love from what you're making. Like trying to get affirmation and adoration and love from people by making great stuff, trying to feel accepted and okay as a person because you're celebrated as an artist. I think that creativity 
and creative work is a terrible way to try to be loved, but it's a wonderful way to give love. And if that's you, if that resonates with you, if you feel like you're, this whole mission that you're on is somehow trying to validate your identity, trying to get people to love you, I just hope that you will let it go. And I can only speak to that because I have experienced it firsthand. And I'm sure a lot of my drive and performance is somehow a pursuit of proving to my parents or proving to people that even though I'm a weird guy with a weird brain who can't give change for a $20 bill, but I can somehow do something of worth, something lovable. And I encourage you to try to find love in your personal life and try to give love to your creative work. Thanks for listening. If you love Creative Pep Talk and it has had an impact on your creative career in any way, there's a few ways that you can give back and help the show continue, keep going for a long time. You can review the show on iTunes. It actually really makes a difference. It's one of the easiest ways, the cheapest ways to contribute back to Creative Pep Talk is just reviewing the show on iTunes. It helps us be more visible to other people and make impact on other people. You can back the podcast financially at patreon.com slash creative pep talk. You can get some creative pep talk merch at creativepeptalk.com slash shop. We actually have some new pins in there. We're going to put the creative career path on pre-order. So go check that out at creativepeptalk.com slash shop. You can also get access to the first 100 episodes and stay up to date when new episodes drop by following the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com. Thank you guys. Thanks to... Yoni Wolf and the band Y for the theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for the rest of the soundtrack. Alex Sugg created a unique soundtrack for this show. It's the Creative Pep Talk soundtrack, and a lot of you have been listening to it as instrumental work music on Spotify and Apple Music and and tweeting to me and tweeting to Alex Sugg and and posting it on Instagram stories. Thank you guys for doing that. I, I have... It has been my go-to work music for a long time, and I'm not just saying that because it's our soundtrack. It really stuffs my crust. And uh, (laughs) thanks, Alex. Go check that stuff out. And uh, until we speak again, stay pepped up and stuff your crust. Stuff your crust.